Listening Dog Media. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Muddy Knees Media. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. Kate Borsay here, keeping you company this week. And it's not just me, as per usual. There are two very able football heads sitting in the background. Well, not really. We're all sat in our own home. Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen join me as usual. And if I sound a bit dazed and confused this morning, it's because, Lindsay Hooper, you've got us up at what time to do this recording? Pretty early. We're doing an early one. Half past eight early. Yeah, that's not too bad, though. It's not like half past six. I've been up since 4.15, so this is lunchtime for me, girls. (laughs) You win. Um, Just putting it out there. Lindsay, why are we up at this time? You don't have a small child to wake you up and make us do it this early. No, but I do have the equivalent of a small child with football, I suppose. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm off to Everton against Southampton and I have to get two trains and, yeah, lots of different travel to get there later. Well, it is early. It is early on a Thursday, um, but luckily... Most things that we're talking about won't have changed too much by the time that this comes out. Hayley McQueen, how's your body clock been this week? Because your daughter, your lovely daughter Ayla, has decided that it's a great time to wake up very early in the morning. Oh, well, we thought half six was early enough. Quarter past half past six. Then it kind of creeped back to quarter past five. And trying to get her to go back to sleep is just... It's impossible. If anybody out there knows how to get a child back to sleep any earlier than five, it's it's easy. There's that little window there. Although this morning she woke up at quarter past four, but that's because she needed a royal nappy change. When I say what, uh, like that was a whole vest, yeah. baby growth, the, yes. the whole shebang. Because that was uh, done. She was just so excited about being kind of rustled about and me wrestling with her that she thought, well, this is just a game here, isn't it? I'm, I'm up. I'm up for the day. <laughs> the baby grows have been flying, flying around the place and therefore it's time to wake up. Well, we've already had a Rice Krispie incident this morning, thanks to this early start. Um, my son Arthur's quite, um, well, he's quite rambunctious in the morning and uh, he gets up quite quite early as well. And decided that he was going to make his own breakfast this morning because I was kind of flitting around getting my coffee ready and everything else. And he's managed to pour most of the contents of a Rice Krispie packet all over the kitchen floor. So not too good a start to the morning over here. What's been going on for you? So, Lindsay, you've been covering games aplenty. I know that you've been doing lots of interviews too. too. Just tell us about the highlight of your week so far. I think one of the highlights of the week, I was in Ronaldo, <gasps> original Ronaldo's Insta yes. Stories. Tell us why. There's an event called the World Football Summit. They've been putting on online events over the last few days. And I hosted uh, and moderated one of the sessions to do with global leaders, global women leaders in football. And yeah, there was a screen grab that was taken. I have to say it wasn't the most flattering one. You know, when your eyes are slightly look like they're shut. It wasn't too bad, though, was it? It could have been worse. It could have been worse. Hmm. But then it goes to 16.9 million people who are following (laughs) Ronaldo. And you think maybe it could have been a better one. 
<laughs> um, so that is your claim to fame, and you'll be dining out on that for for quite a while, I hope. Um, Haley, the highlight of your week so far? Big highlight. I saw my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They came down to stay at mine, which is great. So one household to another, which was really weird. Obviously, we haven't had really anybody in the house for months. But to stay over, it was like it was like Christmas Day when they arrived. So my other half, my little one and my parents all had a lovely few days together. It was great. Dad just perched himself uh, firmly onto the couch with um, both remote controls. And it was <laughs> Sky Sports all day and all night. So I didn't get any break from that. Poor Ayla just doesn't know what a cartoon is these days. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy listening to Jim White and everyone else. Well, talking of highlights, coming up this week on the show, we're going to turn ourselves into soothsayers shortly. Uh, but not only that, we're going to ask, can anyone rival the rock star manager Gareth Ainsworth for coolest manager of the season award? And we commemorate what would have been the Euro 2020 final this Sunday. Can you believe it? Uh, by talking about our most memorable Euro finals and our weekly reminder that you should be setting your alarm for 4 p.m. on a Friday so you can listen to us on Jack Radio. Okay, topic one, the running. This is it, just four fixtures to go. Still so much to be decided. So we're going to talk relegation. Who's going to finish in the top four? What about Premier League top scorers? How many records can Liverpool break? And will Benteke now go on a scoring spree after notching up his second goal of the season? It could happen. Such important questions to ask. But what do we think? Should we go top four first, ladies? Yeah. OK, so at the moment, our top four look like this. Liverpool champions, Manchester City in second on 69 points, then Chelsea on 60 and Leicester on 59. We've, of course, got Manchester United and Wolves behind them at the moment. Do we see much changing, Lindsay? Yes, actually, I do see some changes afoot. With four fixtures to go and you look at what those fixtures are, there's, there's a big game between Manchester United and Chelsea. And I think the winner of that will then finish above the other one. So I'm actually thinking that Manchester City will be runners up behind Liverpool. I think the run that they're on, Manchester United could finish third and Chelsea finish fourth. The The reason I say that, I think Chelsea have been very fortunate in a couple of their results. I think against Crystal Palace, they managed just about to get that win. I've seen a couple of performances like that where they they fall behind or or the opposition scores and their heads drop. And I think that they will pay for that in one of these games as, or maybe even two in this final run-in. Uh, so I think that they're going to drop points and I don't think Manchester United are really going to drop any. What about, I mean, this is an outside chance and a half, but, you know, Wolves on my table at the moment on 52 points and actually their run-in to the end of the season isn't bad, is it, Lindsay? So is there a chance of top four or have you as a Wolves fan ruled it out? We've got them playing Everton on the 12th of July. They've got Burnley then on the 15th of July. They've got Crystal Palace and then on the last day of the season, they've got Chelsea, which could, I suppose... Well, that could be really exciting, but you'd have to have a lot of fixtures go the right way for you. Mm. I I just don't think with the last two results, we've obviously dropped six points. And I think that last minute goal from Sheffield United will also dent confidence a little because 
I think Wolves would have thought that they were coming away with a point from that. And yeah, I, I actually am not so convinced by Wolves at, at the, the minute. I think watching them against Arsenal and then seeing the game yesterday as well, I just think that they're they're not getting many goals at the moment. Um, we can't rely overly on Jimenez and we're not creating that many goal-scoring opportunities, which is the main thing. The, the emphasis has been put on defence. That's clear to see that, you know, we want to be difficult to break down. But that is why we've drawn so many games this season. And also, I think the team, despite having lockdown and that period off, they have been playing for over a year now. And I think it probably is starting to take its toll fitness-wise. I was going to say there, actually, the one thing that you do have to your advantage, yes, I mean, home and away kind of doesn't really matter at the moment since the restart. I think we've we've gathered that. But you do have three away games and you do seem to play pretty well on the road. As for Manchester United, I agree with you. I was thinking I was being overly optimistic having them in third. I just think they are flying high in confidence. Mm-hmm. Paul Pogba is also flying as well. He's created this wonderful energized sort of partnership as well you've got Fernandez in great form who's kind of energized the club too there's even talk of um, Pogba signing a new contract at Manchester United I just think Ole has a very very happy camp and they have winnable games as well yes three of them happen to be away from home but they are Villa who I think are going to go down Crystal Palace and Leicester, and wouldn't it be funny if that last game away at Leicester decided who picked up a Champions League spot? I don't think it'll come to that, but again, it would be something to play for on the last game of the yeah. season. I just think all winnable. They've got Southampton, Crystal Palace, West Ham. They're scoring goals. They have a, a great setup in terms of defence. Fifth place, 55 points as it stands. I think it'll be pretty easy for them when you look at the gap, which actually isn't that big between Chelsea and United. Yeah, I have to say, that I agree Hayley because obviously United are playing tonight by the time this comes out we will know the result of that um, game away to Villa but at the moment they are the form team since the restart so it's certainly going with them so would you agree as well so Liverpool City we're both set on and then Lindsay you've got Manchester United in third have you? Yes and then I've got Chelsea in fourth. Chelsea in fourth and do you agree with that Hayley? Yes and I have yeah I, I don't see Leicester City being up there I think they've they've kind of had their time all right let's scoot on then because I have to say that I'm in agreement with Manchester United finishing in the top four which would be do you know what if you think about the start of the season you know would be would be quite something actually and definitely a success story and considering where they were should we go straight down to relegation Norwich are doomed aren't they Bournemouth have also failed to register a point in their four games back does anyone disagree that Norwich and Bournemouth will be relegated no totally agree I think five defeats in a row for Bournemouth I just don't think it's good enough and I don't think they deserve to stay up really if, if I'm honest as cruel as it sounds who is the third team then to go down I don't think it's going to change. I think it will be Aston Villa. Mm. Um, mm. I think, you know, West Ham will beat Norwich and I think West Ham will probably beat Villa. And I, I think Watford have shown that they've got a result in them and I just can't see where Villa's points are coming from. Yeah, well, they've got they've got to win two games from the remaining five or even four. I mean, that might not be enough, will it? I think that defeat to Wolves pretty much consigned them to relegation already. They haven't won in the league since the end of January and and... 
I just think they're on a downward spiral, unfortunately. And actually, Villa's running uh, is much harder than mm. West Ham and Watford's. Um, and you've got to remember as well, last season, Watford manager Nigel Pearson in charge of Leicester got them out of trouble. So he's got experience there. The only thing I would caveat it with is that, you know, West Ham manager David Moyes has been having a bit of a moan, hasn't he, the last the last few days, saying that his that it isn't right that his team are playing, playing Premier League games so close together. Um, they've got effectively, I think, was it three games in about seven days? So look, that could that could prove decisive to them. They've got their next fixture on Saturday, I think it is. Yeah, but, I mean, that's much of a muchness and that can't be seen as any excuse. I mean, everyone has has got that sort of schedule to try and juggle at the moment. I think he needs to stop with the excuses. If you look at the personnel in that West Ham team, if you look at the players he's got, they are better than Villa, Bournemouth and Norwich. Mm. And if they go down, it would be a travesty. Let's move on to top scorer then. So at the moment, obviously, there are still fixtures to be played this evening, but you've got Jamie Vardy in first spot, 22 goals. Yang on 20 goals. Uh, Mo Salah on 19 goals. Danny Ings on 18 goals in the Premier League. Hayley, where do you see this one going? Right, I would have said Aubameyang, okay, just to pick Jamie Vardy because, I mean, despite the fact that his side haven't been in great form, that hasn't stopped him getting three goals in the last three games. He's looking likely to be right up there. However, however, the big problem for him is they now take on Tottenham. Also got to try and get past Liverpool. Energy levels are going to have to be raised, of course, because they've got a big FA Cup game against Manchester City and try and keep fresh. And I just don't think Obama Yang is going to do it. I thought about it until I looked at the fixtures and was like, oh, hold on a minute. So I, I think it's I think it's Jamie Vardy's. And if they if Leicester don't manage to get in the top four, then at least it's it's a bit of something for them to try and achieve. And Jamie Vardy will just be hell-bent on doing that. I just can't see another season of Jamie Vardy scoring goals yet again. He's getting that little bit older. And I think it'd be lovely to see him, him do it and, and an Englishman as well. I'm with you, Hayley. I, I think if Jamie Vardy gets one more goal, I think that he wins that golden boot or certainly draws it. I do see Salah going on a bit of a scoring spree. Mm. Um, Obviously, in the last match, got two goals. And if you look between Salah and Mane, Salah looks much more likely to score at the moment. Uh, I agree. I I think it could be that they end up drawing for it. but, But Jamie Vardy, I would say, maybe has the edge. I agree with you, Linz, just to, just, just to round this one up. I can't see why Mo Salah, with all the freedom he now has within the side, I think Liverpool are just going to motor on through to the end of the season and I don't see why he, he, he won't unleash the goals, personally. We've got time for one more prediction, ladies. Uh, Lindsay. I would like to see Nick Pope win the Golden Glove. He's currently got one more clean sheet than Alisson and Edison. And Burnley, I think, have looked pretty solid defensively. And then Nick Pope has looked like he's pulling off saves. I mean, in terms of shot stopping, I think he's probably been one of the best in the league this season. So it would be great, wouldn't it, for an English keeper to get that award and from a club like Burnley. I don't know. I mean, Alison and Edison both been only one behind. It only needs Burnley to slip up and then both to have, you know, faultless runs and then, and then they'll overtake him. But I'm rooting for Nick Pope. Fantastic. 
By the way, little note to add on to this section, I came across a wonderful football site called Football Burp with Mystic Megson. So if anyone's after some predictions, you can go check out Gary Megson in a Mystic Meg style wig over at Football Burp. And there's lots of him as well. So you can't fail not to see him if you um, if you fancy having a little look at what Gary Megson thinks about the season. Um, I've been having a quick look no at thanks. Liverpool records uh, to set. Two that jump out to me. Most points in a season. Liverpool now eight points from a possible 12 to equal Man City's record of 100. So that's still up for grabs. And the other one that jumps out, the big one for me, Liverpool are two wins away from matching the 32 victories claimed by Man City in the 2017-18 season and the 2018-19 season. From my personal perspective, that would be the one I'd like to beat. So we need to win three to better Man City for most victories in a season. Hayley? Yeah, one of the records that you, you have and you've broken and could surpass, obviously, the record for the most consecutive home wins. And you could even extend that. But Liverpool would need to win the next three, I think, Premier League titles. OK, this is what you're aiming for. To beat <laughs> Manchester United's record of winning the most oh, c- come on. seasons in a row. Three. Come there you on. go. So you've still got that record. You're still Cry- quite far okay. behind Manchester United in terms of that. Great. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. You just Thanks hang on to that, Hayley, a bit longer. Yeah. Thanks. Thank yep, you for that gentle do. reminder. All right. Well, there'll be a prize at the end of the season, ladies, for the most accurate predictions. So even more reason to pay attention to the final games of the season. Uh, next, though, it's Euro 2020. Sunday should have seen the final of Euro 2020 held at Wembley after a very well-planned pan-continental competition when it would all have come down to everyone's surprise to an England versus Scotland final. Who would have thought, eh? Um, But instead of indulging in that, uh, we'll make do with the North London derby to sate our footballing appetite. I wonder, though, uh, what are the Euro finals that live long in your memory? Um, What do they mean to you? And I'm looking for a personal connection here. Why did you love that particular final? Take us down memory lane, please, Hayley. I'm going to go with the last final, just because it was the one I can remember the most, because obviously this baby brain is is pretty (laughs) tough at the moment. Yeah. And uh, as a Scotland fan, there aren't really many finals that Scotland... I mean, they've been in the finals, but not an actual final. Of course, there was the incredible Euro 2008 with the double over France and that wonderful James McFadden strike in in Paris, of course. But I won't go on about that too much. But I'm just going to take you back to Portugal and and, um, 2016, because they're such a small nation. They're full of brilliant, brilliant players and Ronaldo, of course. And it was special for me because I'd interviewed Ronaldo many, many years ago, probably 15 years before this final. And he'd said, my dream is to win the Champions League, to win the Premier League, to win as many titles wherever I play, he said. But most importantly, I would love to win something and lift a trophy with my country. So that would make me so, so, so proud. And it was something that my dad would have loved me to have done. His dad, of course, passed away whilst he was playing for Manchester United. So I kind of remember that and I remembered how much it would have meant to him. And I don't know if you remember this final for different reasons. The The match started. Do you remember this? It was invaded by moths. 
Do you remember the staff, coaches and players were just running and flapping around and you were like, what is happening? Yeah. And that was because the workers in the stadium, they'd actually left the lights switched on the day before the match and attracted... Yeah, huge swathes of these insect and these big big wasps. So when they were they were they were warming up and it kind of looked a little bit comedy. Unfortunately, it was all about Ronaldo and the talking point after 25 minutes when he of course came off. He was injured, wasn't he? Do you remember that? And you yeah. just thought how on earth are they going to continue this game without their key man, without the man that could potentially win not just this match, but their first major trophy ever as a small nation? And I just loved him on the sidelines, running up and down as if he was the manager. He was literally living the game from the side. He didn't just sit on the bench and watch. He was like the manager. He completely took over. And I think Ronaldo, not even on the pitch, made sure that um, Portugal single-handedly won those Euros. I holiday in Portugal every year as well. So it's always pretty special to go and actually, which I was watching it in Portugal with all my family at the time. I live near a hospital. It's been very busy oh. recently, funnily enough. So there are police cars and mainly ambulances that pass mm. past my house at great speed, unfortunately. I'm, I was hoping they'd started to quieten down in this pandemic, but at the moment not. But yeah, I just think it, it, was, a, it was a bit unspectacular. They got to 90 minutes, of course, and it was... It was a draw, but I just think they were resilient, they were organised and there were huge wild celebrations as well um, at the Stade de France. You could just see what it meant to them. Yeah, and I was I was a little bit choked up too. Oh. Well, you say that Scotland have never been in a Euro final, neither of England. I've, I've gone a little bit cheeky here and I've chosen the next best thing to England being in a Euros final. And that was Euro 96, because I think that arguably was or contained a game that was England's best performance, I think, in a major tournament since the World Cup. The game I'm talking about is England-Holland, when England demolished the Netherlands 4-1. As I said, I think it is the standout game if you're an England fan. It's the one to refer back to. And at the time, remember, at Euro 96, the Netherlands were all about total football, one of the tournament favourites. And I was there and in the stands. And the reason why I mentioned this game, I was there for a couple of games at that tournament. I was going out with a guy who worked for Total Football magazine and we got these tickets and it was my first live experience of proper tournament football and it just completely took me. And in that England-Holland game, as well as England being better than anyone had imagined, particularly because they'd had that bit of a stuttery start against Switzerland, they'd had that win against Scotland, which was great with the dentist chair celebration, but where were we going to go from that? And my goodness me, we went to some level for this game. There was a period of time, so from 51 minutes up to 62 minutes, there were three goals. There was a penalty from Shearer first up. Then there was, uh, to take us to 2-0, Teddy Sheringham. Then another goal from Alan Shearer and another one from Teddy Sheringham. That goal to take us to 3-0, by the way, from Shearer, I think is probably one of the best team goals that England have ever scored. McManaman, Gascoigne and Sheringham combining uh, to release Shearer through on Edwin van der Sar. And being in that crowd at Wembley, and I know I've spoken about this before, but that period, that period of 11 minutes where it just where we kept scoring. I'd never known anything like it in my life. And when you're caught in that tidal wave of, yes, we've done it. Yes, we've done it again. Yes, we've done it again. And it's an awesome goal. It was it was really something to behold. I can remember what I was wearing for that game as well. It's just 
It's one of those games that will stand out in my memory for years and years and years. So not quite a final. In fact, it was Germany who won that um, Euros uh, in 1996 um, with a golden goal in extra time. They were completely savaged by injury up against the Czech Republic and Oliver Bierhoff uh, came off the bench to equalise for Germany and then they, they scored that golden goal in extra time when golden goals still existed. But it was it was, it was was the tournament for me, certainly as far as being an England fan goes. I know that 2016 was very strong, but we're yet to reach that peak, in my opinion. Hopefully anyway. one day. Yeah. One day we'll be in a Euro final, maybe next year. Who knows? <laughs> I'm going to go for 2004's final between Portugal and Greece. And this is a time in my life I'd just graduated from university. I was still living in Loughborough because I'd been elected as a sabbatical officer, which is um, sort of one of those elected roles at university, but a paid role. And I'd, I'd finally got out of student digs. And I remember getting this new TV to watch Euro 2004. And the the final wasn't the best final in terms of drama and in terms of great football, but in terms of the underdog coming through to win, because this is Portugal, this was in Lisbon, yeah. this is the hosts, yeah. and, and you've got the whole of Portugal wanting them to win this tournament. And they're a li- little minnows Greece. And prior to this tournament, they'd only played six games at Euro finals and they'd lost five of them and drawn one. It was also a case of repeating the opening match of the entire 2004 tournament because Greece had beaten Portugal 2-1 in that opening game and then met them in the final. At the very beginning of the tournament, they were 80-1 to to win. They were serious underdogs. But their coach, Otto Rahagel, who'd got, I think he was um, German actually, or certainly got links to Germany, defensively he had made them so difficult to play and man of the match I remember it was Zagarakis who who really shone in that match it was Haristias who scored the winning header it was only one nil that they ended up winning the game by but wow in terms of backing the underdog this was the final for it in the Euros Greece never known anything like it the scenes that you saw as well afterwards you know when they show you those camera shots of different pubs and different different fields and stadiums where people are watching and Greece erupted and they were just faces of shock that's what I remember is just Mm. everybody couldn't believe they'd done it so that really is one of the ones that I look back on and think any you know it's that story like Leicester with the Premier League yeah that sometimes that there are footballing miracles. We need those as well, don't we? We really do. Um, all right, thank you for summing that up. Um, if you would like to give us your favourite memories too as we approach what would have been the Euro 2020 final this Sunday, you can tweet us at Offside Rule Pod. Next up, uh, we're going to get some street cred.
Okay, topic three, manager swagger. Well, the inspiration for this comes from Wickham manager Gareth Ainsworth, who you just heard singing The Wanderer. He recorded that last year, didn't he? Uh, The chairboys manager has just guided his side to a Wembley final, specifically the League One playoff final, all while singing in a rock band and donning a leather jacket. Could he be, quite possibly, the most coolest manager in town? He could be. Um, But I'd like some names to rival him, please. Hayley. There's kind of two sides to this story because he is just a brilliant manager, but of course stepped away from management tragically when his nine-year-old daughter passed away. It's Luis Enrique, the coolest Mm. daddy round. He's a father of three and he lost his little girl, of course. He was the manager of of Barcelona, head coach of the Spanish national team and just stepped away. He didn't, of course, talk about why he was taking a step back from football. He's back and he's managing again and I can't imagine how hard that is, but his dress sense is absolutely brilliant. Do you remember when he came over to play Arsenal and he was on the sidelines in a parka jacket? It was a parka with some trainers. It was brilliant. And I found a little tweet of um, somebody that had posted at the time saying, not only jealous of Luis Enrique's attacking options, but also his coat collection. That's right. (laughs) His jacket was later discovered to be worth 270 quid. It was from Replay and someone described it as uh, summing up his side Barcelona informal, on-trend, universally popular and unnervingly coordinated. Um, And people say he looks like his team plays. Very, very cool indeed. He's known to wear a sharp suit with a shirt, but without a tie and sneakers. He's done some high tops as well with his jeans just tucked in. He does sometimes look a bit like a soccer casual. So if he was turning up to the stadium without his team, not on the team, but he'd probably just stroll into the stadium and nobody would really bat an eyelid. But I just think he is the, the coolest of cool and even cooler about him is that he had to come back to work and get on with his job after going through such a, a, a tragic, tragic time in his, in his life. I just wanted to mention him because of that as well. I will throw in Marcelo Bielsa, but only because anyone who can carry off a club tracksuit in Asda without caring a jot is just way too cool for school Do, for Does he carry it off though? Well, I don't think he cares. And in my mind, That's that makes cool. him cool. Yeah. That he doesn't care. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm also, of course, going to pipe up with Jurgen Klopp. We know he's pretty cool. Um, He's pretty trendy. What I quite like about him, to add to his coolness, is that he met his second wife, Ulla, in a pub at Oktoberfest. There you go. So proof that proof that you can still meet your partner in a pub. Lindsay, who are you look, I think in? I think Jurgen and Pep are just givens, and I also think success clearly makes you a cool person as well. But if we're talking about street cred, um, I was trying to think what is it that I think makes someone have that that aura about them, and I think that the key is mystery, a bit of mystery about mm. them. You wouldn't you wouldn't go up against them. If you were a guy, you wouldn't pick a fight with them. If you're a girl, you don't know where you're going to stand with them. Diego Simeone. I think that has to be the crowning jewel. Um, He's immaculately dressed. Uh, He has a little bit of what I would call attitude to him. Um, That mystery. Yeah, I don't think you'd mess with him. I really don't. No, he's he's on my list too, actually, Linz. I have to reveal. 
Okay, and so I put him on there. And then with the musical link and and tying all of that in, I was trying to look who's managing in English football at the moment that I could think would rival Gareth Ainsworth. And the best I can come up with, because Gareth is clearly leading the way here, is Slaven Bilic. Because Mm, Slaven at West Brom, he's actually a talented guitarist as well. He plays electric guitar. There are pictures of him on the internet as well. If you do a Google search, um, he's playing electric guitar, got that rock T-shirt on, looks the business. So I think he's the nearest to challenging Gareth and that would look good in a leather jacket. Yeah, and he's, he's he sports a little sort of earring in one of his ears, doesn't he? He's, he's tattooed yes. up his arms, he rolls up his T-shirt. He's got his, his cool little guitar. He's strumming away with his little beaded jewellery up his arm as well. He's just super cool. Do you know what? I'm going to put in a last vote. Well, in fact, Nuno's beard would go down pretty well in parts of East London, Linz. Um, but He's Daniel got the mystery Farker. factor as well. Mm. Yeah, 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 he does. And that sort of, you wouldn't really want to mess with him factor. Um, <laughs> how about Daniel Farker, though? He spent most of the first part of this season in a parka. Uh, and I was uh, having a quick look at some pictures online with someone suggesting that Farker's Parkers is a clothing brand that absolutely needs to launch. <laughs> uh, with his skinny black jeans, sneakers and a big overcoat, he looks looks more like the bassist from a German prog rock band uh, that had a few hits in the 90s and, and are now considering reforming and touring because they need the money. Uh, we wow. need that in our lives, don't we? Farkers, Parkers. Uh, Hayley, anything from you? No, I just had a little bit of a nod to um, cool in a different kind of way. How cool would it be to work in a job with your sibling? OK, I've got Danny and Nikki Cowley. They went from PE teachers now to managers, they are brothers. I just think that is cool in itself. But they're not exactly rock gods, put it that way. <laughs> All right, well, we will round up our votes then uh, for the manager with the most street cred. Next up, it's time to end on Any Other Business. OK, Any Other Business, the short stories that don't necessarily make the headlines during the week but didn't escape our attention, Lindsay. You might have started to notice for your own teams as well that new kits are being revealed. I know that the Spurs one was revealed Mm. recently. I think Nike launched that, didn't they? And if you look at Match of the Day and their Twitter feed this week, this has to be one of the best kits. Now, it isn't a very well-known team. It's Loch Ness FC. But if you (laughs) look at them, they have Loch Ness on the front of the (gasps) kit. But it's also very tasteful. What? An actual picture? Yeah, their home kit's white and then Loch Ness is on a diagonal down the front of of the strip. And then their away kit is is black with stripes, which also resembles wolves' colours, so I was very drawn to it. And Loch Ness, you've got little Loch Nesses all over it, one across the middle and then tiny ones on the sleeves. It's Um, it's actually really nice, isn't it? Very, very tasteful. So, yeah, hashtag Nessie. (laughs) Hayley. My any other business is Hector Bellerin making a vow to plant 3,000 trees for every Arsenal win in the last month. That's right, there was a picture of him with a big headline, first set of seedings taking place, ready to go in the rainforests in November. So How so cute on, is that? 3,000 yeah. trees for, yeah. for every one of Arsenal's yeah. wins? Yeah, so they've won the last four games, so 12,000 trees are going to be planted. He Aww. he posted on, on, on Twitter... And he's put a picture up of of, of workers putting these little seedlings in. There's a few of them have kind of popped through and are looking like they're 
ready to be planted. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's charity called One Tree Planted. He's obviously not just gone for the one tree, has he? He's gone for thousands. Now, there was also no wind, no tree. That's right, because Paddy Power, the bookmakers, naughty Paddy, are saying for every game that Arsenal don't win, basically, they will plant 6,000 trees. So we're going to have forests popping up everywhere, yeah. ladies. Good news Trees are the winners. Win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Trees are the winners. Talking of Arsenal, one from me. Um, Arsenal women's Twitter feed changed name this week to Olsenal WFC um, after they signed their third Australian player. The manager, of course, Joe Montemur, is also Australian. Uh, Steph Catley joined from Melbourne City last week. Caitlin Ford already there. And uh, new signing goalkeeper Lydia Williams is the latest Socceroo to arrive. So there you go, Olsenal WFC. I did have a check. It has gone back to normal. It was just um, just 24 hours of Australian-linked excitement there on that Twitter account. Uh, last week, I did ask for more reviews from people because I felt that we hadn't reminded people to do that. Oh, yes. So you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And I said that I'd read out a couple um, that we got through. So KC046 um, basically said that of all the things that she listens to, this is the one I love. I say she, it might not be a she. Um, Great to hear a team of great female broadcasters discussing the week in football, both on and off the pitch, and they often get really good and high-profile guests too. I love it because it's inclusive in so many ways, even if you're not hugely knowledgeable on football, but keen to just stay updated and hear engaging discussions. It's delightful to be joined by our high-profile guest, Hayley McQueen. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> I think I think that person's probably referring to our exclusive. To our exclusive, we haven't, we haven't yeah, done one for a while, but we'll have ne- to get on to that. Next week's big guest is Lindsay Hooper, and following on from that, it's Kate Borsay. <laughs> um, another um, one. And then we had, I'll just do one more because I know we're running out of time. Uh, Roll on Fridays. Uh, Can't wait for this podcast to come out every Friday. This is LJ. Um, It's my must listen every week. Love the girls. They make football so fun and accessible. Oh, we are glad. Well, thank you very much to you if you are one of our listeners. We've enjoyed keeping your company during lockdown and beyond, of course. That's all for the show this week. At Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Instagram if you want to keep in touch with us and keep across everything that we're doing. Our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com. Lots of great articles popping up during the week for your reading pleasure. And don't forget that you can get a 30-day free trial at The Athletic on our behalf as well. Um, Theathletic.com forward slash offside for that one. That's it from us, ladies. Have a great week. Um, I presume that you're probably jetting off all over the place, Lindsay. Well, driving and training off all over the place. I've got a very big match at the weekend. So Watford take on Newcastle. How crucial can Ooh, that be on yeah. Saturday? Big decider. And then Wolves-Everton on Sunday. Gosh, well, I hope Wolves manage to emerge from their little run of bad form. Hayley, anything exciting lined up for you this week? Uh, exciting? Well, I mean, my parents came, which was great. I've got the in-laws coming next week. Oh, ah. We will find out all about that next week, of oh, course. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, folks, if you're listening, and we will speak to you again next week. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. My name is Matt Davis-Adams. I present The Athletic's Chelsea podcast, Straight Out of Cobham, and I'm a supporter of the two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest. 
That's all well and good, but for the purposes of this promo, I want to tell you that I also host the very excellent Totally Football League show, where every week I'm joined by Swindon Town legend Sam Parkin and Southend stalwart slash journeyman Adrian Clark as we follow this championship season to its conclusion. The Totally Football League show is now part of the Athletics Network of Podcasts. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can hear ad-free versions of each episode on the Athletic app. But don't worry, if you really like adverts, you can hear them by searching for the Totally Football League show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football League show with me, Matt Davis-Adams. Because there's football outside the Premier League too, you know? Muddy News Media. Podcast Network.